and welcome to the History Department at Northern Kentucky University. This episode is part of an eight-episode series from the fall of 2021. As part of Professor Brian Hackett's Honors 320 Forbidden History class, students broke into eight groups to provide podcast episodes where they would discuss interesting events from regional history. We provide them here for you uncut as recorded, and we'll continue to provide additional content as it is created here on campus at the department's podcast studio. These first episodes are rough, but showcase that incoming first-year students can take the lessons learned over the course of a semester to create new and interesting content within a matter of weeks. We hope that you will enjoy these podcasts as much as the students enjoyed creating them. Hello everyone, my name is Carly Franklin. Hi guys, my name is Kaylee Whiteman. Hi guys, I'm Isaiah Cook. And today we're going to be talking about H.H. Holmes. So Holmes is widely recognized as one of America's first known serial killers, and he's kind of taken on many nicknames throughout the years, such as the Devil in the White City uh, and the Beast of Chicago. And none of these sound too friendly, so it kind of gives us an idea of the type of dude we're going to be talking about today. So H.H. Holmes, as he is most commonly known, was born in New Hampshire on May 16, 1861, which makes him a Taurus. <laughs> and uh, if you guys know anything about astrology, you know Taurus men don't have the best reputation. So uh, some infamous Taurus men include uh, Hitler and Travis Scott. And actually, H.H. Uh, Holmes, as we know him, was actually born Herman Webster Mudgett, but we're going to be referring to him as Holmes or H.H. Holmes um, to maintain consistency throughout the episode. So Holmes was a third of five children. He had uh, an older brother and an older sister and a younger brother and sister. And he was widely known as a pathological liar, so it's kind of difficult to uncover the full truth about his upbringing. But we do know that he was raised as a extreme Methodist and a pretty wealthy family but his home life wasn't all that great. His mother, Theodate Page Price, would emotionally abuse Holmes and his siblings, and his dad, Levi Horton Mudgett, was an alcoholic who was extremely strict. And as a punishment for bad behavior, Levi would isolate and starve Holmes and his siblings. But one of the worst and most unique punishments, in our opinion, is that if the children were being too loud or arguing or whatever, he would soak a rag in kerosene and force it in their mouths to shut them up. Um, kind of rough, honestly. And Holmes' childhood trauma extends out of his home life as well. Holmes acquired a fear of skeletons after a doctor forced him to look at a human skeleton at a young age. And we're talking like a pretty nasty, like, late 1800s skeleton, so it was pretty traumatizing, and Holmes was like 9, 10, 11 at the time, so it freaked him out a lot, and... So that's like a fresh guy? Like yeah, that's like no, that's recently. like, yeah, yeah, we're talking like a fresh, like, fresh skeleton, fresh corpse straight out the... Recently removed. Yes, recently <laughs> removed, and so uh, as Holmes acquired this fear, his classmates kind of picked up on it, and uh, Holmes was like relentlessly bullied for it. Uh, which kind of helped him overcome his fear in turn, and it fueled his um, fear, kind of turned it into an obsession um, with anatomy, and kind of shaped his desire to pursue medicine um, in his later life. And to satisfy his curiosity with anatomy, Holmes would capture animals and perform uh, amateur surgeries on these animals, and like many serial killers, this was Holmes' first taste of inflicting torture and pain and killing another living thing. 
So, Holmes was not known for his great social competency, as we can tell from all the animal torture. He wasn't great at picking up on social cues or understanding personal space, but his charisma and cleverness did make him popular with women. Holmes graduated high school at 16 and married his first wife of many, Clara Lovering. While they were madly in love at first, Holmes lost interest in their relationship after the birth of their son, Robert. Holmes went. Holmes wanted to spend a little time away from home, or as much time away from home as possible, and he enrolled in the University of Vermont in Burlington. But he left after one year. He then abandoned his family and left to study medicine at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, which is widely known at the time, which was widely known at the time for human dissection and body snatching. Around this time, this is when he began to call himself Henry Howard Holmes. I think it's. Personally, I think it's so crazy that some rando could just up and like be like, oh, I'm going to ditch my family and move to a different state and change my name and go to college. Like, I think it's so crazy how much um, like identities and stuff like that has like come since the 1800s. And it's just whack because like no one could get away with that today. So, no, that's wild. And we'll hear a lot more about that later. This is the very minimum of his his little schemes. <laughs> Although Holmes was very intelligent, he was a mediocre student because he focused all his time stealing cadavers and committing insurance fraud, as you do. Yeah, as one does. <laughs> After graduating in 1884, Holmes then moved to Michigan from Chicago to study, or from Michigan to Chicago to study pharmacy. Holmes started working at a drugstore owned by Elizabeth S. Holton, whose husband was older and in poor health. Mr. Holton mysteriously disappeared following Holmes's arrival, and Elizabeth was all too happy to turn over the store's responsibilities to Holmes. She eventually sold the building to him, then also mysteriously disappearing like her husband. Um, and actually, like, a Holmes schemes uh, kind of picked up here, too. So he was selling, like, this random, like, mineral elixir water at the drugstore, but it was really just normal tap water and he was just scamming people out of their money and being like oh dude look at these cool like remedies i have for these like plagues and like sicknesses probably not plagues because this is a little bit too late for that but yeah so he was um just a schemer and a not so great guy so it was widely rumored for a long time that Holmes actually killed the couple, but it was later found through records that they lived um, into the early 20th century and through Holmes's entire life. So he did not kill them, and they actually did leave town. So this was one of the few times he was telling the truth. Oh, nice. <laughs> In 1886, while still legally married to Clara, Holmes married Murda Belknap in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This ceremony wasn't legal, and Clara was actually never made aware of this uh, marriage or the filing of a divorce. Um, and because of the social norms of the time, it was very difficult for him to get like a legitimate divorce, and it never went through. Like his, pre like his previous marriage, though, Holmes lost interest in her after the birth of their daughter, Lucy, and rarely stayed at home, using the money from his insurance scams and body snatching schemes. Holmes bought a lot across from the drugstore he operated, where he would build his, most, his murderous empire, and he would begin the most infamous part of his career as a killer. And this is where everybody kind of starts to know or get a gist of the story. So in 1893, during the Chicago's World's Fair Columbian Exposition, meant to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's voyage, Holmes built a fake hotel as part of an insurance scam, surprise, known as the World's Hotel, the World's Fair Hotel. Today we know this hotel as the Murder Castle, and guess what happened there? He killed lots of people. 
And that is what we're here to talk about today. The murder castle was located on South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd Street in Inglewood. Holmes began construction on the building in 1887 across from the drugstore he had been operating during his time in Chicago. The building was a two-story multi-use with apartments and retail spaces. Holmes refused to pay the architect and construction company, and as a result, they sued him. In 1892, Holmes decided he wanted to add a third floor to the building and open it as an actual hotel for the Chicago World's Fair. The hotel section, however, would go on to never be completed. Uh, I just wanted to add that, like, Holmes tried to stock this place up with, like, a ton of, like, cute decorations and stuff, but he literally just bought it all on credit and was like, nah, I'm just not going to pay it back. So this was kind of a cycle he go into, just people trying to sue him and stuff and trying to come at him. So I just think that's kind of interesting. He's just super dishonest guy. Don't worry. His scams will catch up to him eventually. And during the fair, many people headed to Chicago to see the many different exhibits. Some of them included the first gas-powered car, a 1,500-pound statue of Venus made out of chocolate, the Ferris wheel was um, revealed here, and as well as the Buffalo Bill Museum, and tons of other things that I'm definitely going to research later. (laughs) Today, the 1893 Chicago World's Fair is more famous for some of the actions of our dear Doc H.H. So this murder castle was not in fact a regular castle, as it was specifically designed for murdering people. It had many rooms with with maze-like hallways connecting them. There was soundproofing in every room and mysterious hidden rooms. Many of these rooms even had chutes to drop bodies down, where they would land in acid vats in the basement. Imagine the smell of that place. I, ew, I would vomit, like acid like deteriorating corpses um anyway don't be eating while you're listening to this because um yeah you'll probably either vomit or just not have a good appetite imagine trying to get this thing constructed and they're just like okay yeah you want an acid fat in your hotel (laughs) and it gets so much worse So, additionally, there was a crematorium in the basement, like all hotels do have. (laughs) Um, And personally, I'm very concerned as to how this hotel even got built without anyone realizing that this was probably not a legitimate hotel, as it never operated as a hotel, or at least a hotel that people, you know... Would want to stay at. Would be able to review. Like, you can't really, you don't really get second customers. Um, So for a long time, rumors spread, claiming that the doctor would torture his victims, but there's actually no evidence of him torturing guests, and most of it, it's really just kind of it. It's like an efficient murder factory. You come in, you die, you end up in the vat. Like, it's not... (laughs) It's a very quick process. He was really, it's strange, because he was really, you really get the idea that he was in it for the money, and it wasn't really like a kind of a torture people situation. It was more like, well, how can I make money off of this little circumstance? Um, I know that we say that all of his like torture methods are just like alleged, but I have heard, and this is just speculation, but I have heard that um, in some of the like fake like rooms, like the maze hallways, um, with like partitions, um, he would like have like two-way glass where he would watch people like suffer or watch them like starve to death. So I mean, I don't know if that that's true or if some people are just trying to make it seem like he's more evil than he actually is. But hey, I think it's kind of interesting to consider that maybe he just loved watching 
um, his murder castle in action and just loved watching people, I don't know, starve to death and, and suffer in the depths of his scary little hotel. <laughs> All right. So eventually this very, very suspicious hotel was discovered by the press, as it was likely to happen, um, when a jeweler who worked for Holmes approached investors wondering why the hotel had so many alarming features, like a crematorium and yeah. acid baths and torture rooms. Finally someone catches on. Um, which led the investors to pull their funding, because they thought that would kind of be bad for their image. Um, but Holmes was not deterred, because people like this are usually not deterred um, by the media's rumors that may or may not have been unavoidable facts. <laughs> so he then went on to scheme the rest of the money off his own will. Like, he was just, he was just such about the hustle that he got found the money somehow. He's a straight hustler. H.H. Um, Holmes is a hustler. And ended up actually finishing the hotel mostly by 1892. So, H. Hustler Holmes, um, as I personally want to call him, that's cheesy, but anyway, I thought it was funny. Um, so, in 1894, a police investigation would uncover the uh, quite strange layout of the building, including, you know, just body shoots and secret passageways, false partitions, as I kind of mentioned earlier, and gas chambers. So Holmes would use dissection tables in the basement to disassemble the bodies and sell body parts and internal organs on the black market and to medical universities, because at the time, um, it was very common to uh, like take dead bodies or even like kill people and then sell the organs or just body parts in general to cadaver, like as cadavers in um, like medical universities. Holmes really eliminated the middleman here and said, you know what, I don't want to like spend the work and effort on finding a dead body when I can just find alive people and murder them for funsies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it worked. It, did it worked work. until it didn't. Um, but Holmes Murder Castle didn't stand forever. Um, sadly, question mark, question mark. Um, probably not so sadly. Uh, there was a mysterious fire that gutted the inside of the hotel and um, it was eventually torn down in 1938 to make way for the Inglewood branch of the USPS, where it is still stationed to this day. And I just want to say that I've heard that some people speculate that Holmes was like uh, trying to, I guess, get rid of the evidence of murder in his castle. So he set the fire himself because he did like pull insurance money from this fire that happened. So literally, is it beyond Holmes' like capabilities and beyond his like personality to literally like set his own hotel on fire and then gather insurance money off of it? Probably not. I say that that's very much in character <laughs> for him. So now getting deep into his murders. So Holmes criminal history started primarily with um, insurance fraud scams where he would steal cadavers, mutilate them, fake their deaths, and collect life insurance policies on the recently deceased. Nice. Um, I just think that's so interesting that this was like, not only did he, like, this wasn't super common to the extent he did it in the time, but the fact that he was able to make this a business, the fact that it was like, well, we have a fresh body and we don't know the time of death because we don't have like super efficient distribution of information to have all that information. So you can just be like, this is my uncle. He's sick. He died. It's not his uncle, but... I would like money, please. And they're like, here's money, Mr. Holmes. Yeah, it just shows how much, like, insurance was kind of, uh, like, a... A free-for-all. Yeah, just, like, it was a piece of crap back then. And it just 
I mean, it's it's arguably still a piece of crap now, but it was especially a piece of crap then because it's like... I don't know. I mean, if you can just get money for anybody, you're like, well, this guy died. I knew him. Can I have money? They're like, yep. Okay. Yeah. Why yes. not? Well, you have to make, uh, you have to make like the collector like then. Yeah. You have to file it in their name, but he was really good at convincing people. He had a lot of fake names and he could come up with fake names better than an internet gen- generator I could. I guess that goes back to his, um, his just charisma and his, his hustling. Yes. Yeah, hustling. Um, so, uh, his first supposed attack was in Moore's Fork, New York, where he was seen with a small boy who mysteriously disappeared. That's so sad. Um, according to Holmes, however, he merely went back home to Massachusetts. There was no further investigation during these ye old times, and Holmes just fled the scene yet again. Later in, Philadelphia, uh, later in Philadelphia, while Holmes was operating his drugstore, an additional child died of mysterious circumstances after taking some medication from the store. And Holmes just denied any involvement and up and left town once again. This was when he began to call himself Henry Howard Holmes to avoid being linked to any mysterious child deaths that he may or may not have been allegedly involved in, and he moved to Chicago to be a pharmacist in 1886, where he would commit his most famous murders. The first of H.H.'s supposed victims was his mistress, Julia Smythe. Holmes had a connection to Smythe due to the employment and residency of her husband, Ned Connor, who may have been the jeweler who disclosed the murderous implications of the hotel to the investors. Connor left the hotel having full knowledge of the affair, leaving behind his daughter, Pearl, to Julia and to live at the hotel with Holmes. Julia and Pearl mysteriously disappeared on Christmas Eve, 1894. Holmes claimed that Smythe's death was caused by an abortion. Holmes, however, never proved to be the definitive killer. I just want to clarify that when we say the, this was the the mistress murder was the first of the supposed murders, he doesn't really have substantial ties to the first two children that disappeared. It's just kind of he was the murderer in town, so they kind of assumed he was the murderer or like the reason they disappeared. They're fairly confident that he is the reason that his mistress is no longer alive. I feel like that's a pretty valid assumption, to be honest. This leads us to the case of Emmeline Syndergrain. Syndergrain worked at the Murder Hotel in 1892 and disappeared that very same year. Crazy. And then another disappearance is that of Edna Van Tassel. And there, I don't know about you guys, but there is definitely a pattern forming with um, the doctor. He certainly seems to like women and bringing women into his hotel. And then they're never seen again. Holmes would go on to meet his so-called crime buddy in a Benjamin Pitzel. Pitzel was known to many as Holmes' creature, often doing Holmes' dirty work. In April of 1893, this was one of the first times our dynamic duo started to work together to commit crimes. Minnie Williams, an actress at the time, was hired by Holmes to be his personal secretary of sorts, and she would work as the secretary for the hotel. Holmes wooed Williams into an insurance scheme by convincing her to give the deed to her Fort Worth, Texas property to an alias of Holmes. Later on, Holmes and Williams, who were playing the parts of a married couple, decided to rent an apartment together in Lincoln Park. Annie, Minnie's sister, came to visit this couple, and after that, neither Minnie or Annie were seen alive again. 
I just want to say that it's actually kind of funny. So um, Annie was like, uh, whenever Minnie was telling Annie about um, Holmes, she was like, oh, um, he's this great, like, charming, handsome doctor. And then uh, some accounts claim that Annie was kind of like, dude, my sister's plain and boring as heck. Uh, How did she score this doctor? So I think that it kind of like clarifies because she's like, oh, Minnie's kind of, kind of five out of 10, like, and then almost like a 10 out of 10. So I just think that's funny. Anyway. And it gets worse when you find out that Holmes then transferred this Texas property that he got from Minnie by means of, I don't know if that's appropriate for a class, to pencil. (laughs) Essentially, he killed her. (laughs) And the sister. So eventually, insurance companies started to figure out that this Holmes guy might not be their best buddy. Um, And they proceeded to charge him with arson for um, false insurance claims, because we're to assume that he burned something down he should not have. So he fled Chicago for Fort Worth, Texas, using the property he obtained from the Williams sisters and began planning a second murder castle. Luckily, he would not be able to begin construction on this murder castle as he was arrested for the first time in 1894. Um, And he was put in jail for selling mortgaged goods, which is not murder. So I think that's kind of anticlimactic. And he was eventually let out on bail, which was probably a mistake on the police system's part. Um, it was here where he met his second partner in crime, Marion Hedgepath, and Holmes schemed up another plan in which he they would fake his where he would fake his own death in order to gain insurance money um, with a sum of ten thousand dollars, which is equivalent of two hundred ninety six thousand dollars today. This plan would go on to fail due to the insurance companies being rather familiar with Mr. Holmes in his past. Holmes then decided to turn his focus on his partner Peitzel who would fake his death and give the insurance money to his wife, who would split it with between her and Holmes. This is a... Okay, so let me get this straight. So are we saying that, like, Holmes was like, okay, Benjamin, you're going to die, and then I'm going to collect this money, and then we're going to split it? So they're, like, kind of having, like, a... Yeah, they were going to, were gonna like, fake his death, and then they were going to split it between Peitzel's family and Holmes. Are you saying you're seeing where this is going? Oh, I mean, like I said... H. Hustler Holmes, so I think, I don't know, kind of smart. <laughs> so Holmes planned um, for Peitzel to fake his death um, in a lab explosion, which is something that happens to anyone every day. Like that's <laughs> yeah, just a very normal thing that yeah. is not suspicious to any insurance company. Um, but instead, so he was going to have to, he was going to have a lab explosion, and then there was going to be a cadaver they found. Right. And he was going to present it to the insurance company. But he is having gotcha. trouble tracking down a cadaver. A cadaver. So instead, he killed Peitzel and lit him on fire. Um, so then he presented, um, as we wrote, Peitzel's crispy corpse to the insurance company, and he was actually able to collect the money from the insurance company because he had an authentic corpse. But Mrs. Peitzel was not going to be happy about this, so Holmes told her that her husband had gone on vacation to London. I just can't imagine being in the dark for so long. Like, having no idea that my husband was dead. Just thinking, oh, wow, he's really been on vacation for a long time. So this Mrs. Peitzel character, she (laughs) might not be the best 
<laughs> spouse slash parent. We're going to find out. So after Peitzel's death, um, Holmes requested to have custody of three of his five children for some reason. We don't really know why, but he wanted three of his five kids. And his wife, for what, for, Peitzel's wife, for whatever reason, agreed to give Holmes three of the five kids. Nice. Uh, um, these children traveled with Holmes throughout the Northwest, the United States, and into Canada. And Holmes never disclosed with Mrs. Peitzel that her husband had died. So they were not aware of what happened to their dad. And now they were just hanging out with their dad's friend. Um, Holmes would later confess to the murder of two of the daughters, having locked them in a trunk and drilling a hole in um, putting a gas line into the trunk to suffocate them on toxic gas. And then he buried them at a rental home he had in Toronto, and I'm assuming his landlord was not happy about that because he was burying dead bodies in the basement. (laughs) As Um, one does. As one does. This is where Mr. Holmes' actions begin to kind of... Catch up to him? Catch up to him, (laughs) and people are like, "Maybe, maybe he's not... Like a like a a friend to all. Yes. I feel like maybe um, maybe Holmes. I, I'm not trying to say that he has any sort of like human emotions whatsoever, but maybe he started like feeling guilty because, I mean, him and Benjamin were together for a real for like quite a while, and they com- like committed a lot of murders together. And I feel like maybe he was starting to regret like, man, I really just killed like my best friend and the only person. I'm going to have a counterpoint to that. Okay. Um, so he couldn't find the cadaver. And his next logical step, which I don't, I'm not a sociopath, so this is not my next logical <laughs> step. Oh, okay. So how he killed Benjamin was he took, like, formaldehyde and knocked him out. Yeah. Um, and he was unconscious, apparently. Um, and then they set him on fire, which okay. kind of finished him. People But speculate. the thing with that, it speculated um, through, like, court documents or whatever, that uh, the formaldehyde was placed after the fact. So... It's more than likely he lit him on fire and then was like, well, I need to look humanitarian. I knocked him out first. <laughs> he probably didn't. He, he probably, probably just did. He probably just lit his friend on fire. That crispy corpse was crispy before it was deceased. But he did get the insurance money, which was really like the end goal. So, like, if you think about it, Holmes won that. But can we talk about how he got the insurance money and then didn't split it with Miss Pinesel? Miss Pinesel's husband was spending it all on vacation. He was oh, in, so true. That's probably what happened. He was probably like, so he went on. He took the money and went to London. That's what happened. He's on a cruise. Dang. That's what my parents told me. When I would lose a toy when I was like four, they were like, you want on vacation, buddy. He'll be back soon. <laughs> That's all. He'll be back soon. <laughs> That's like whenever your dog dies, but they say it just is at a in like a farm. Just oh, like, no, went, not the, the farm. farm. <laughs> so, Peitzel and the Peitzel children, uh, they went to the farm in Toronto. <laughs> oh, my um, God. So, eventually, this guy, he's a police detective from Philadelphia named Frank Geyer. He is assigned to figure out where these Peitzel children ended up. And he meets this guy named H.H. H. Holmes, um, who is um, a primary suspect in this case. <laughs> so, Geyer would discover the bodies of the Peitzel children in the Toronto rental home that Holmes had buried them in. Um, and if you're anything like us, you're probably wondering what happened to this third kid? Cause he did take, he Three. took two daughters and killed them. And then there was a son. So Geyer figured out the answer for us. And he discovered that 
Holmes had taken the third the son to Indianapolis where he purchased drugs for the child to kill him and then he went to the hardware store and purchased knives <laughs> to disembody the child and then burn the child corpse. And of course in classic Holmes fashion he showed just no sympathy or empathy for anybody in this situation. I don't like that you can just read that just or just like say that with such a like a straight face like oh he just this might have child and knives and drugs and but just, there he's gone he's gone the interesting part is the reason they know he burned the body they didn't find the whole body they found like teeth and stuff they found the teeth in the chimney so oh, he, the he next like, house he bought he like cooked him in his Indianapolis home <laughs> oh my god so this this was a bad guy that's so awful but eventually all this child murder would catch up to him thank god so Holmes' reign was finished in Boston on November 17th, 1894 by the Pickertons, which is a detective agency. Holmes was held in jail for horse theft that took place while he resided in Texas. <laughs> we wish we were so, making this yeah, up. Like, I, so he was running like a horse like stealing <laughs> scheme where he was like stealing horses from, I, I, I think it was like uh, from somewhere and then transporting them to Texas or vice versa. I don't know. But he got caught for that of all things. So I guess people care more about horses than they do about um, the death of lives. three children. Yeah. Um, so the bodies of the Peitzel children were found in late 1895 by uh, Chicago police. And wait, and Chicago police began to formally investigate the murder castle, but no evidence was found to convict Holmes in Chicago. So basically, acid is a really good way to get rid of a ton of corpses. If anybody is wondering, we don't condone. We don't condone this. So in 1895, Holmes was found guilty of killing Peitzel and was sentenced to hang. It was also obvious. I just think it's so interesting that they got him for Peitzel. They were like, well, he his criminal he killed his criminal partner. I feel like that's something that kind of happens where it's like, well, they eventually turn on each other to sell him out as career criminals. It's like, well, one career criminal sold out another career criminal and killed him. And they're like, well, that is that warrants the death penalty. It's like, well, also, he killed his whole family. It's like And I'm also thinking he also killed like um, Annie and Minnie allegedly from like from earlier or they disappeared, I, but I, I guess it's assumed that he killed them and they didn't like anything on them because they're kind of ho- high profile. I mean, they own property and stuff. So how did they get Pizel? Pizel was kind of a, so he a has, low life. He has yeah. 10 confirmed murders, oh. but it's estimated or possible that he killed 235 people, oh including the hotel. But because there's so many rumors and he... His confession isn't real accurate, as we'll talk about later. Yeah. We don't really have a real number. It's just like who disappeared within the proximity of H.H. H. Holmes during the time H.H. H. Holmes was active and what of what he said and confessed to has actual evidence. Okay. But again, there's just a lot of mythology and mm-hmm. kind of mystery to this. So mm-hmm. we don't know if a lot of this is true. Because again, what we talked about earlier, they thought that he murdered the drugstore owner, and census records prove that to be true. false. So Okay, that makes sense. So um, back to our silly little story. In 1895, Holmes was found guilty of killing Pizel, like we said, and was sen- sentenced to hang. And it was also obvious at this point that he murdered the Pizel children. And while on trial, he confessed to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto, along with six attempted murders. 
Holmes actually confessed to killing many people who were still alive as the Hearst newspapers offered him $7,500 for a confession, which is approximately like $230,000 today. And this confession was found to be mostly false. Surprise, surprise. And later, um, during his final confession in life, Holmes claimed he just didn't mean to kill anyone and was possessed by Satan because, obviously, that's exactly what's happening. I think it's so interesting that even when he's on death row and, like, they're going to kill him, they're not not going to kill him. Yeah. He's still like, but $75,000. Yeah. He's yeah. <laughs> like, you're not, you're not going to get it. Who's going to get it? You're, like, four Abandoned wives families? and yeah. th- 12 kids? Like, Lucy and Robert. <laughs> no, that's, that's wacky. I mean... Possessed by Satan, though, like, he's really just grasping at straws. But how many people in modern day history say that, like, something bad happens, they're like, oh, gosh, I was possessed by Satan. Please don't put me on death row. Please don't put me in prison for life. Yeah, like, it's, it's just like the new, um, that Conjuring 3 movie, Devil Made Me Do It. Yeah. If you guys have seen that or read up on that. I mean, it's, it's hard because so many people just claim that it's like, and I believe in possessions. Mm-hmm. And it's just so hard to like distinguish between what's real and what's not because we have people like Holmes um, who have no like real evidence of any type of possession and so it kind of craps on the people who may actually be possessed if that is actually a thing that happens so who knows but Holmes was very calm leading up to his execution and with little anxiety or depression um (laughs) being hung on May 7th, 1896 at the Moyamensing Prison. Um, I can't pronounce that, but... Moyamensing. It's in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's in, it's in Pennsylvania. So he was hung at that place for the murder of Putzel. But his neck did not break when he was hung, and he just suffocated to death over the span of 20 minutes, which sounds hellish, but probably not as hellish as he deserves. Um, he requested his coffin be secured from grave robbers and resurrectionists, so I guess they couldn't get revenge on him for doing the same stuff that he does to other people. Um, but the grave was covered in concrete and buried 10 feet deep. I think, you know, because of all the, the post-death precautions with the grave, I would say he's a little bit of a hypocrite. No, that's just I a little bit. Agree. That might be his worst quality. Oh, so that's his worst quality, not yeah. the psychopath murders. Okay, no, I mean, maybe you have a point. <laughs> um, so he requested this, like, his intense burial thing, so no one could do to him what he'd gotten away with for so many years. So, period, King. <laughs> Needless to say, because Holmes was a self-identified pathological liar like we had kind of mentioned earlier, we don't really know when so much of the truth ends and Holmes' concocted story begins. And there is a great part of his life and his motive that is still shrouded in mystery to this day. And we may never know the true number of his victims, and these cases will still go down as one of the greatest in forgotten or maybe even unmentionable or forbidden history ever.